0: We have an anchor that keeps the soul. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. You remember in Luke 23, verse 33, Luke records, And when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified Him and the malefactors, or thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. It's my conviction that when you read Luke chapter 23, verse 33, you have a microcosm of God's redemptive plan and the acceptance or rejection of that plan by man we have studied the fact that Jesus was on that central cross. Here was a man dying for the sins of the human family. As Peter said, and as we just partook a moment ago at the Lord's Supper, Peter would say He bore our sins in His body on the cross, that we being dead under sin might live unto righteousness. And then we've also talked about the other man on the, on the cross, the thief who was dying to sin, who enjoyed the blessings of redemption because he said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him today, you will be with me in paradise. Today now we want to look at the other thief. And here's a picture of a man Dying in sin. A man who rejected the opportunity to enjoy the blessings of the Messiah. So I want to call your attention to the thief who died in sin. And I want to ask you a question. Is there anything worse than a person dying in his or her sin. Think about that for a minute. Let that resonate. Is there anything worse than dying in sin? When we look at the record, the first thing that I want to call your attention to is his criminal behavior. This man was dying on a Roman cross because he had made at some point in time in his life what I would call destructive choices. We are the products of Almighty God and God has given each of us the ability to make choices in this life. If we were to go back and look at the Garden of Eden, when God placed man in the garden, you remember God said He was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. The choice that Eve made, and likewise the choice that Adam made, were destructive. Their choice ultimately opened the floodgate. For sin and death, to work on planet earth, and to literally destroy the hearts and lives of many people. I have wondered, when did this man begin a life of crime? Was he a young man when he began a life of crime? Why did he begin a life of crime? Is it because he associated with the wrong kind of people? You remember, Solomon said in Proverbs chapter one verse 10, "My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent." Paul framed it like this: "Be not deceived, evil companionship corrupts good morals. There are people in our world today who are facing a lot of problems in this life because they chose to run with the wrong crowd. Is that a possibility? Or did he engage in a life of crime, criminal criminal activity, for the high of it? You know, there are some people, they get off on trying to beat the law. You know, what we would call the thrill of it. Is that why he did it? Is it possible? He was just lazy. And rather than work and provide for himself, it was easier to steal. Now, I don't know when this man began a life of crime. But I know this. There was a point in time in his life, we call them watershed moments, when he made the decision that led to another decision that ultimately led to another decision, and now, those decisions have come home to roost, have they not? Now, there's a second thought here. It has to do with what I would call his consequential behavior. I have often said, for every action, there is a corresponding reaction. Do you know why this man was dying on a Roman cross? Because he made wrong decisions in life. Do you think as a young man, he ever envisioned himself dying on a cross? Do you think in his heart of hearts as a young fella, do you think that he could envision the day when he would die one of the most horrible deaths known to man, crucifixion. I don't think he understood where that life of crime would lead. Now, you know, we talk about the consequences of making poor decisions in life, there are some emotional consequences attached to a life of sin that we might do well to remember. There's a passage in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah said in chapter 57, he said concerning those who make poor choices in this life, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Can I tell you why there are some people that went to bed last night in a drunken stupor can I tell you today why there are some people who are constantly self-medicating themselves? It's because they're trying to deal with the burden and the guilt of sin and bad decisions in this life. And it is literally eating them alive. Hear what Isaiah said again. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. There are people in our world today, they are self-medicating The problem that we call sin. Now, I know that in this day and time, that's not popular. It is surely not politically correct. But I can tell you what, it is biblically correct. And you can ignore the teaching of God, and you can turn your back on God, and you can choose to live the life of a rebel. But you will not live in peace. You will not have, as Paul said, the peace that passes all understanding. It's not possible. Why? Because the only place you can have that kind of peace is, is in Jesus. That's it. There's no other place for peace. In Christ we have peace with God, Romans 5.1. But we have the peace of God, Philippians chapter 4. So the emotional consequences of making bad decisions. Do you remember in Luke 15... When the prodigal son made a terrible choice in his life, he went to his father and wanted to know if he could have his inheritance early. I mean, the audacity of asking your parents for your inheritance while they're alive. Can you imagine that? And the Bible tells us that the father consented. And so this young man went out into that far country, and the Bible says he wasted his substance on riotous or profligate living. In other words, he wasted it. So the Bible says there arose a great famine in the land. He began to be in want. And so the next thing you know, he's grazing with the pigs. And then he began to think, how many hired servants does my father have in despair? And I'm perishing here with hunger. I suspect that that young man had time in that pig pen to think about the decision that he had made. And as we would ask today, how'd that work out for you? Not very well, did it? So emotionally, we suffer. But then what about physically? Are there not physical consequences to making poor decisions in life? Now, I want you to hear what Paul said. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now, I understand that there are spiritual consequences to living in sin, but we need to understand something about the physical consequences that are a direct result of choosing to live in sin. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You remember in Hosea chapter 4, the children of Israel we're indicted because Hosea said my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because of that, he said they're swearing, lying, killing, stealing, committing adultery. He said they break all restraint. So then you turn over to chapter 8 verse 7. And Hosea said, they've sown the wind and they will reap the whirlwind. The northern kingdom went into Assyrian captivity because They made poor choices. And sadly, her sister Judah did not learn the lesson. And so you've got Habakkuk, the prophet of Almighty God, crying out to God in Habakkuk chapter 1. Because Habakkuk sees the very people of God living in sin. He said, the wicked surround the righteous. And God said, let me tell you what, there's a nation to the north of you, The Chaldeans, let me tell you what, they are going to come in and they are going to clean your clock. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there are physical consequences associated with sin. This man is dying on a cross. Can you imagine the horrific pain and agony? I mean, every muscle, every nerve, the searing, awful pain. Dying on a cross? Listen, the Romans perfected crucifixion. The intent was to make it so horrible that those who died on the cross suffered immensely. This man was paying a horrible price for what he had done. Now here's what Solomon said many years ago. Solomon said... The way of the transgressor, listen to him, is hard. What do you mean, Solomon? When you make bad choices and transgress the will of Almighty God, you can mark it down. You are choosing a hard life. It might be that you're here today. I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to make a case for the fact that you're suffering today because you made poor choices in this life. Now tell me about the number of people in this country that are addicted to drugs, one of which is alcohol, and they are suffering immensely. Look, the consequential behavior of poor choices. You've heard the expression, the rooster has come home to roost. Well, the rooster came home to roost in the life of this young man. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see. It has to do with his contemptuous behavior. Now, imagine if you can, you have been led out to Calvary's Hill, Golgotha, the place of a skull. And as Luke said, there they crucified Him. So you have the opportunity to witness with your own eyesight the crucifixion of the Son of God, the Messiah. You are there to see that. And then one by one, they crucify those two thieves. What about that searing jolt when the nail was driven into the hands and feet of those men. Can you imagine the pain? Now, the text tells us over in Matthew chapter 27 that both of the thieves reviled him, that is Jesus, with the same thing. So, try to picture this in your mind. And let me preface this by saying, it's my conviction, and it's just my conviction. I believe that both of these men, dying one on the right and the other on the left of Jesus, were Jews. Now you might ask the question, why would you believe that they were Jews? Well, if you go back and look at Matthew's account, you remember the text tells us that those who were present at the cross, they were blaspheming the Lord. And they said, You who destroy the temple and raise it in three days, save yourself. I mean, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. They questioned His sonship, did they not? They said, if you're the King of Israel, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. Well, the text also says, that the thief, dying in sin, said this, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Well, who was the Christ? That's the Messiah. How would he have known anything about the Messiah were it not from the Hebrew Scriptures? He would not have known anything about the Son of God, the King of Israel, were it not, for the fact that somebody had taught him. So this man, he denies the sonship of Jesus. Are there people in our world today that deny the sonship of Jesus? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Every single day. When Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? That was a powerful question. A profound question, yes. A personal question. And you remember what Peter said? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Does it matter whether or not I accept the sonship of Jesus? As a matter of fact, in Matthew 27, they said, He trusted in God, let Him deliver Him if He'll have Him, for He said, I'm the Son of God. They knew the claims. Now, there are people in our world today, they have heard time and again, Jesus is the Son of God, but they reject it. And that's a bad decision. One that ultimately will come back to haunt them. So they, these men, initially rejected the sonship of Jesus. This man did. And not just his sonship, but his sovereignty. Again, again, If you're the the Son of God come down from the cross, do you really think that those nails were what held Jesus on the cross? I mean, do you really believe that? Are you kidding me? You remember Jesus said, look, I can ask my Father and He will send twelve legions of angels to my defense. Roman legion, some five to 6,000 troops. Look, Jesus had the power to lay down His life. He had the power to take it up again. What held Him on the cross was His subjugation to the Father in heaven. As He said in the garden, Not My will, but Your will be done. There was no other way, period. That's it. So, Initially, both men, both men blasphemed the Lord, they mocked Him, they questioned His sonship and they questioned His sovereignty. But now I want you to think in the fourth place about his calloused behavior. And I want you to think about what Luke records in chapter 23. The thief on the cross that began to think about his spiritual plight and about the one hanging on that central cross turned to the other thief and he made this observation. Really, he framed a question. He asked, do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation? The other thief is beginning to think about the implications of what's happening. Now bear in mind, darkness is covering the land. And so he wants to know, do you not fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? Now listen to what he said. For we indeed justly, we receive the due rewards of our deeds. In other words, we are here because of what we have done. You know it and I know it. We are dying on this cross because we have been convicted as thieves, criminals, or malefactors. That's why we're here. But this man has done nothing amiss. He recognized that Jesus was innocent. So you've got Jesus, arms outstretched. On the one hand, you have a man who's dying to sin. That thief that said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That other thief had the same opportunity. Now listen, that other thief said to Jesus, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Do you know something about the anointed one, the Messiah? I think he did. And obviously they both knew something about the kingdom of God. The difference was one had the presence of mind to realize Jesus is my only hope and the only one who can help me, and the other did not. Now, I said a minute ago that I believe this is a microcosm of God's redemptive plan. You've got on that central cross Jesus dying for sin, On the other cross, a man dying to sin. But on the other cross, here is a man dying in sin. This man rejected his only source of help. Now let that sink in for a minute. Not only did he reject his only source of help, he resisted. His only source of hope. That's Jesus. If you die in sin, it will be because you turned your back on the only source of help and hope for your soul. Now we talk a lot about things that happen in this world and there are a lot of bad things that happen. And there are folks that face a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble and there are things that people face from time to time that it's hard for me to comprehend the depth of hurt and sorrow that they experience. But I can tell you this, there is nothing on this earth that you will ever face more serious than if you die in sin. If you die in sin, there's no help coming. There's no hope. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Luke records in Acts four twelve, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When people close the door to Jesus, as this man did, there is only one thing that awaits them. That's torment. Now look, we've all seen some situations in life when things may have looked very bleak. And it might have been the case that in days gone by you have seen some circumstances arise in your life and you said, you know what, I just don't know where any hope's coming from. It might even be the case that you say, I just don't see any help for me in this situation. Somewhat like going to an oncologist. The oncologist runs a series of tests, CAT scan, MRI, biopsies, the tumor comes back and says, Listen, there's nothing we can do. We can keep you comfortable, but we can't, we cannot save your life. Now let me tell you what, that's a helpless feeling, a hopeless feeling. You remember Steve Jobs? Had a transplant just down the street here in Memphis. That man was worth billions of dollars, but that money couldn't help him, couldn't buy his life. And let me tell you what, you step out on the plains of eternity, look, this guy resisted the overtures of the Lord to the bitter end. You can make that choice today. In your heart of hearts, you can say, I'm not interested, it's not for me, not not concerned about it. But let me tell you what, there'll come a day when you will come to realize you made a terrible choice in this life. I read this past week, I went back and refreshed my memory on an article that I had read years ago about the late Carl Sagan. Sagan was an atheist agnostic. When he died, his wife said they'd been married 20 years and she said that when he died, there was the conviction of heart on both parts that we would never see one another again. Why? Because they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe in the afterlife. As far as I know, she's still alive. I can tell you right now, just as sure as this podium is right here beside me, I promise you Carl Sagan believes in God. I promise you that. What's the problem? It's too late. He lost. lost. You mean to tell me that I can say that that man is lost? Yes, I can. Why? Because he rejected the only hope in this world. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, when the Lord Jesus comes, He will take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that hard? Yes, it is. But it is the truth of Almighty God. My responsibility to this congregation is not to fill this building with people. My responsibility is to fill this pulpit and to preach the Word of God. Now people might like it and they may not like it. I want to encourage, I want to motivate, I want to inspire, I want to be your friend. But I am here to tell you today, I will never compromise divine truth. Truth is truth. And we will be judged by the truth of Almighty God. And we have been too soft in this world on sin. And we have not preached enough on the consequences of dying in sin. And we're going to have a lot of folks that will miss eternity because we didn't tell them the plain truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's the fact of the matter. So my question to you today, are you willing to come to Christ? Will you deny yourself? I know that's hard. Will you deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? That's your choice. I can't make you do it. But I know this, Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. And if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. Paul said it like this, you will die without hope and without God in this world. Are you willing to die in that condition? If you haven't obeyed the gospel, it's very plain, very simple. You need to believe Jesus to be the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name, be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away. If you'll do that, the Bible tells us God will put you in the church and you will be numbered among the redeemed and you have the hope of heaven. If you're here today and you've gone back into the world and you're not living as you should, I want to strongly encourage you, please, don't die in your sin. Make it right today. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love